Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. If it is your first time here, welcome. I appreciate you guys coming on out. My name is John. I am the lead pastor. And I just got to say, wow, did this sound really good today or what? I mean, yeah. Like, and these, they're all volunteers, just so you guys know this. And what you don't know is that they were all, including the sound guys and all that, they were all here at the museum. Was it Tuesday? Or third? Tuesday till one in the morning getting all this set up for you. And wow, that sounds, it's like being at a concert. That was great. Anyway, so we are kicking off this brand new series that we're calling Breaking Free. And it's always exciting to kind of kick off a new series. At least it is for me because it's something different to do. Um, and we're going to be covering some topics that we've not actually covered here before uh, at DHC. So while the Bumber did a pretty good job, let me let me kind of take it a step further and really sort of set the stage for what we're going to be doing here for the next four weeks. Um, okay, so growing up as a child, I was a pretty good kid, right? I, was, I really didn't give my parents much props. I was an only child. I mean, I, was, I really stayed in line, okay? I stayed in line. And the reason that I stayed in line is because one time I didn't stay in line and my dad said something. Now, if you've been around this church long enough, you, you are going to recognize what my dad said because I've told you this before. But there was one time, the first time that he said this thing to me, there was this one time when I was five years old, and I know some of you in the audience are around five years old. There was one time that I was five years old, and my dad looked at me, and he said, John, if you keep doing what you're doing. Now, folks, I don't remember what I was doing, but I'll never forget what he said. He goes, if you keep doing what you're doing, life as you know, it will end. Now, as a five-year-old, I was not really sure what exactly that meant. And to this day, I don't have, it was Easter this, I go, hey, can you, what did you mean? He goes, you don't want to know. You, you do not. So what became clear to me very early on at the age of five, after having endured what, you know, professionals would call psychological warfare, it became clear to me that I would need to create what I am now calling patent pending a behavior filter, okay? Because life's good. I like life. I am a big fan of life. Quite honestly, I'm not interested in losing my life. And, and so to that end, I was going to have to learn how to monitor my behavior so that my dad would not end my life. Now, all of us, whether you realize it or not, at some point in your life, you as well has created this behavior filter because you learned what happened when you didn't say thank you. So next time you said thank you. You, you learned what happened when you talked back to mom or dad. So you figured, oh, I'm not going to make that mistake again. And so you decided, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to filter out that behavior. And as we got older, we took our behavior filter with us. It evolved to sort of meet the needs of the day. And you learned in the real world, there are certain things that you can say, and there are certain things that you cannot. I mean, you could say them, but you're going to have some consequences. There are certain things that you can do, and there are certain things that you cannot do. And so as the years progressed, we became proficient, really good at monitoring our behavior. Now, the interesting thing about this behavior filter is that while it does prevent us or protect us from saying the wrong thing, it actually helps us to say the right thing. Because think about this. You learned what to say to get that first date, didn't you? And then you learned what to say to get the second date. 
And then you, you know what, you figured if I say this, I'm going to get the third day and you learn what to say and what not to say to keep that relationship going. Somewhere along the way, you learn what to say to get that job. And you learn what you could say and not say if you wanted to keep that job. And we all, as adults, became experts at monitoring our behavior for the outside world. But sometimes it just seems like, and I don't know if you've sensed this before, but like sometimes it, it feels like our behavior filter isn't enough. Like we almost need something more. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever, have you ever said something that was just entirely out of character? It's like, ooh, whoa, where'd that come from? I'm sorry, where did that come from? That's just not like me. Or, or out of nowhere, you just do something that is just so unlike you. And maybe your spouse sees it or a friend sees it. And they're like, what was that? I'm sorry, have we met? What are we, what are we, what's going on? And it's the strangest thing, but it's almost like our behavior filter malfunctioned for a second. Like it's got a hole in it and, and, and something slipped past the behavior filter and made its way to the surface, made its way to the outside world. And it's in these moments where we ask a question that we never stick around to answer. And that is, where did that come from? Because I don't know about you, but it happens sometimes you just explode in anger out of nowhere. Or you say something catty or whatever the case may be. And it's like, oh, where did that come from? And then we just continue on with our day. That's it. Move on. See, we've gotten really good at filtering out our words and our actions, but we never stop to ask, where are these words that I'm filtering out? Like, where are they coming from? Well, Jesus has something to say about it. He says something amazing, in fact. In Matthew 15, verse 18, Jesus says, but the words you speak, let's just pause here for a second, but the words that you speak and in this particular instance, Jesus is referring to those words that squeeze past your behavior filter. The ones that we say, oh, gosh, where did that come from? I'm sorry. And in those moments when we do something we shouldn't do or say something that we know we shouldn't say, often we go, well, you know what? Um, it's stress. Honestly, with this year, with the 2020, with the work, with the this, I'm, it's just, it's stress and it got the best, you know, I'm, you know. or sometimes... We might say, well, you know what? It's the alcohol talking. I just, you know, I'm good with one glass of wine. I've had two or three. I'm sorry. It's the, it's, it's the alcohol talking. That's not me. But of course, we know in vino veritas, right? In wine, there is truth. But Jesus says, but the words you speak are from the heart. That's what defiles you. It's an interesting picture that he paints here. It's almost like he's saying, look, your mouth your mouth is like an EKG for your heart. We can get a readout, so to speak, of the health of your heart based on the words that you're saying, or rather I should say, based on the words that you're not saying, the ones that you're filtering out. And so it's in those moments where we go, yikes, I don't know where that came from. Jesus goes, uh, I do, your heart. We say, no, Jesus, no. Listen, I know you're God, but come on. This is, this is very, you don't understand, this is very uncharacteristic of something that I would normally say. And Jesus goes, no, I'm, I'm aware of that because you've set up a filter to block out these words, but they're in your heart. And every once in a while, they come to the surface. 
and it's causing you problems. See, we as humans, we've learned to sort of monitor our behavior. But what Jesus is saying is that we need to monitor our heart. Because as humans, we got a lot of, let's call it junk, that kind of gets lodged in here and builds up in our heart. It's like cholesterol. You know, a little bit's not a problem. And over the years, it gets more and more and more until all of a sudden, you got a problem on your hands. Jesus puts it very plainly, speaking about your heart. He says, from the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality. You name it, it's there. Le- uh, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. So what Jesus is saying is that deep down inside of us, hidden away from the light of day, filtered away to the best of our ability, lives some junk. And it's doing damage to you. Personally, professionally, financially, relationally, with friends, family, spouses, and even spiritually. And so what we're going to do over the next four weeks, we're going to take a look at four, what I'm going to be calling common heart problems. These issues that are living in our hearts that are preventing us from becoming the person that God wants us to be. And for that matter, preventing you from becoming the person that you want to be. And we're going to take a look at what scripture has to say about breaking free from these issues that have such a control in our lives. So to kick off today, I want to take a look at a big one. I want to take a look at one that every single one of us at some point in our life has dealt with, and that is the big G, guilt. Now, as I said, if you're human, at some point, you felt guilt. And some of us, unfortunately, have been carrying around guilt for years, maybe even decades. Now, when you feel guilt, there's this sense, and you might not articulate it this way, but there's this sense that you owe someone something. It's like, I've offended you. I've hurt you. Now I feel like, mm, like I owe you. You might not have thought about it this way, but, but what do we say when, when, when we, we feel guilty about offending someone? We say, well, I owe you an apology. Because I feel like at some level I've taken something from you, and so I owe you something, and the least that I can do is say I'm sorry. Sometimes some of us say, well, let me make it up to you. You ever say this one? What are you making up? You ever think about that? For what you took. And often in some misguided attempt to assuage our guilt, to sort of make it go away or not feel as bad, a lot of us will try to buy stuff for that person, hoping that makes it right. I mean, let me, let, me buy you, let me buy you a bag. Let me get you a new golf club. Let me get you some toys to sort of make up for these things that I feel like I've, I've taken from you. And, and what you've probably found, unfortunately, is that often you can't make up for what you've taken. See, when we hurt someone, whoever that someone might be, there is a real debt that exists in that relationship, that, that guilt that you feel, that's the evidence of that debt. That guilt that you feel is the evidence of the inequity in that relationship. That guilt 
is the inner sense that mm, I've done something wrong. I just, it's not, it's not right. Now, when it comes to debt, when it comes to debt, there are two options. Really, we only have two options. We can repay it, right? You can repay your debt. But how do you repay like a tarnished reputation? How do you repay a first marriage that you blew up? How do you repay not being there for your kids during the time that they needed them? I mean, how do you, how do you repay the past? It's difficult. Sometimes it's even impossible. Or if you can't repay it, you can ask the person to cancel the debt. Now, depending on your situation, and I don't know your situation, whether you're here today or watching online right now, but there are a lot of us who are carrying around guilt, who think, I don't really have a choice because I messed up. I hurt these people. I destroyed that relationship. I, I, I can't change what I did. I can't change what I say. And this guilt is something that I just got to carry. No, you know what? I need to carry it. Like it's a virtue or an act of doing penance. But according to scripture, that guilt, that's a heart problem. And it's causing you damage. And so today, we need to deal with it. So how do you break free from that guilt that is living inside of our hearts? One word, confession. Now, as Christians, I don't want to say that we've misunderstood confession. I don't want to say that we've misinterpreted it. I don't want to say that we've got it all wrong, but I do feel very comfortable in saying that as Christians, we often have a very unbalanced view of confession. Now, if you grew up Catholic, many of us grew up Catholic. If you grew up Catholic, when we're talking about confession, what did you do? You went to confession. You go to the church, you're in a confession booth. You got the father on the other side of the, the thing who can, we can totally see you. He knows who you are, right? And, and, and you say, Father, look, you know he knows who you are. You say, I, you know, I did this. I said this. I hurt this person. And he gives you some prescriptions. You know, okay, say five Hail Marys. You're good to go. And you leave. Ah, all better, right? Confessed. Confessed him. We're all done. Now, if you're a Protestant, you look at your Catholic friends and you go, you got it all wrong. <laughs> Love you, but you have no idea. This is, this is not how confession works. No, right? You don't go to a priest. You go right to God. And the reason we know this is because of 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, meaning to God, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So as a Protestant, what do we do? We just take out the middleman right? Father, love you. You can take the rest of the day off. I'm just going to go to the big guy. We say, God, I did this. God, I said that. God, I, I hurt this person. And because we know that God is faithful and just, we say, amen. And we know we've been forgiven. And we walk away. Ah, feeling good. We're both doing the same exact thing, just that looks a little bit different. And somewhere along the way, and I don't know if we were taught this, I don't know if we've just figured this out, or what, but somewhere along the way, we began to think that confession is about conscience relief. That we tell God what we did, and we walk away saying, ah, all better. That was great. 
that, that somehow, in some weird way, that confessing to God what we did puts everything back together like it was before we blew it all up. Now, don't misunderstand me because I'm going to go in somewhere with this in a second. When you confess to God, you are forgiven, okay? When you confess, you are forgiven by God. But, there's the big but for the day. What about the person you've wronged? Now, think about, like, this is going to challenge you theologically for a second, but how does telling God what you did to that person make it right with that person? It doesn't. That's why we tend to have this lingering sense of guilt in our lives even after we've gone to confession or we've prayed to God and confessed what we've done. And the reason we have this lingering sense of guilt in our heart still is because going to God is just one half of the confession equation. Yes, according to Scripture, you need to confess to God. Absolutely. Yes, you need to repent of what you've done. Lord, I've done this. I am sorry. I am turning and going the opposite way. I'm not going to do that again. And of course, we always do it again. Yes, you need to confess to God. But you also need to confess to the person you've hurt. One of the first instances in Scripture where we see God laying out how he wants us to handle this sort of issue, like we have these issues in our lives with other people, is found in the book of Numbers, right? It's a book in the Old Testament. We don't go there too frequently. But in Numbers 5, verse 6, we read this. He says, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. Like, write it down. Tell them this. If any of the people, men or women, betray the Lord by doing wrong to another person, they are guilty. Now, I think this is incredibly interesting in and of itself. You see what this is saying? It's saying that every time you wrong someone else, it is actually seen as a betrayal of God. That when you hurt your spouse, when you hurt your coworker, when you hurt your neighbor, you've actually hurt God too in the process. Now, this is early on in Scripture, the very beginning of the Old Testament, but you're beginning to see how our relationship with other people reflects our relationship with God. The two are absolutely intimately connected. Continues. It says, they must confess their sin and make full restitution for what they have done, adding an additional 20% and returning it to the person who was wrong. Wow. Okay, I mean, do you listen in here? God is like, look, when you sin against someone, when you hurt someone, when you offend someone, you need to confess it, not just to me, to that person. And then I want you to repay what you took from them plus 20% interest. Now, this concept sounds wild, but this concept actually makes its way into the New Testament. There's a great story, and one day I hope to do a whole message on it. There's a great story about a guy named Zacchaeus. Many of you might know Zacchaeus if you grew up in the church, went to Sunday school as a kid. Kids love this story. But if you're not familiar with Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was a Jewish tax collector. And tax collectors at this time were not like IRS agents. These are Jewish people who bought the right from Rome to tax their fellow Jews. Essentially, they were extorting money from their fellow Jews. And they were hated, surprise, they were hated for doing this. Now, one day, Zacchaeus, 
meets Jesus. And his life is changed. He has, he has a conversion experience. He becomes what we would now call a Christian, but he, he becomes a follower of Jesus. And in this moment, he has this revelation. That's what I want you to see. In Luke 19, 8, it says, Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord, that's Jesus, and said, oh, I will give half of my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, which he had, I will give them back four times as much. Not just the 20% that the book of Numbers prescribes. I'm going 400%, baby. That's how serious I am about making it right with the people that I've heard now that I've become one of your followers. Almost instinctually, Zacchaeus knew that going to Jesus, that's not enough. That was the first step, but only the first step. He needed to make it right with the people that he's hurt. So how do you think Jesus responded to this? I mean, this is a pretty big offer. I mean, do you think Jesus goes, no, 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 no. You don't need to do that, okay? Listen, you told me what you did to them. You're good. You don't need to make a whole thing. You don't need to go the extra mile, as I like to say. You're fine. You've told me everything. Don't make a spectacle. Look what he said. Jesus responds, salvation has come to this home today. Four. Here's how I know. For this man has shown himself to be a son of Abraham. Jesus is like, guys, it's obvious to me. I don't know if you're seeing it, but it is obvious to me that God is doing something in this man's heart because he has admitted what he has done and he has taken responsibility for what he has done and he is attempting to make it right with the people that he's hurt. One day, Jesus says something that was so wild. I mean, it, was so, it shocked the people so much. It would have been great in the last series, the Say What series, but I'm glad I didn't use it because I want to use it right now. Jesus in Matthew 5 said this. So, if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, let me modernize this for you. Let's say you're a church, okay? And you suddenly remember that someone has something against you. Leave your sacrifice at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. So, okay. See if I understand what you're saying here, Jesus, because you've just said a lot and it's like rocking my world. And I just want to make sure I understand what you're saying. Are you telling me that I woke up on a Sunday, my day off, mind you, I woke up on a Sunday at 7 a.m. I got my kids up. I got them dressed and into the car. Do you know what it takes to get my kids dressed and into the car? We schlepped all the way over here. We came in from the parking lot. It's hot. By the time we got here, the seltzer was gone, all right? The big game's on, wherever the big game is. My buddies are down there already pre-gaming for the game. I'm here, okay? My, my wife's friends, they're at brunch. She's here. And now you're telling me, are you telling me that I need to drop everything, leave here, and go make it right with my brother-in-law? Yes, Jesus would say. It's exactly what I'm telling you. And I don't think this is hyperbole. I don't think this is an exaggeration to grab your attention. I think this is what Jesus wants you to do. Now, don't take his advice right now. I don't want you to leave because I need like an audience to speak to, but just theoretically be working through this in your mind. Why does Jesus take such a firm stance on making things right? Because 
our relationship with God hinges on our relationship with others. These are inseparable, just as we saw all the way back in the book of Numbers. You can't resolve your differences with God until you resolve your differences with others. See, what you see when you read Scripture is that God values relationships. And he considers restoration of those relationships a priority. And for that to happen, oftentimes, confession is required. Not just to God, but to the offended party. Now, James, who is the brother of Jesus, he straight up makes it a command. He says, confess your sins. That's a command. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. And we read that and we go, healed? Huh? Yeah, healed. Because you got a heart problem. You got something going on in here that needs to be healed. See, what you begin to see as you read scripture, one of the things you, you come to the realization of is that the goal of confession isn't a clear conscience. That's often a byproduct. The goal of confession is a changed heart. And according to what Jesus says, we as humans, we live out of our hearts. And if we harbor guilt, inside of our hearts, it does something to us. And what God is doing is he's calling us to get it out of there. Let's get it out. Confess it, not just to him, but to them. Yeah, but John, that's easy for you to say. I mean, nice scripture, slides, I mean, it's... That's easy for you to say because you don't know what I've done. In fact, nobody knows what I've done. And if I go to that person and I tell that person what I've done, the heart. Let me just tell you something. You've already hurt them. Confession doesn't hurt people. Sin hurts people. Confession doesn't hurt people. Concealment hurts people. And trust me, trust me when I say this to you, that person, they already know something's up. Because you're different. And you know it. That hidden guilt inside of you is changing you. And it's not for the better. See, oftentimes we don't confess because, well, we're just afraid of the consequences of confession. What's going to happen if I tell them? I mean, what, like, what am I going to have to deal with if this just gets out there? I mean, John, isn't ignorance bliss? I mean, I mean aren't they just better off not knowing? They seem fine Everything seems fine over there. I mean, it's not really affecting me that much. See, we're afraid of the consequences of confession. But we fail to think about the consequences of concealment. And that is, your heart is rotting. And it's impacting who you are. And it's impacting how you relate to others. 
and it's impacting how you relate to God. So, if you were God, just play God for a second. If you were God, and you loved you, because God loves you, if you were God, and you loved you, what would you say? Ah, just keep it a secret. Just push it down deep. And everything, it'll be fine. Or, would you kind of put your arm around you and say, look, I know this is going to be painful. I know it's going to be awkward. I know they might not listen to you. I mean, it's going to be a long run, but, but you're already dealing with the consequences of sin. Don't let that chase you around forever. Confess it. Get it out in the open. Put it in the light of day. Deal with it. Own it. And you can break free from it. So, what's practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it is your first time here at DHC every single week, I say the same exact thing. We put this word on the screen because I want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. This week, I just want to talk to the Christians in the room. So if you're not a Christian in the room, you could just take the next five minutes off for a second, okay? I want to talk to the Christians in the room today. If you're a Christian, there is one thing that I know about you. That is that at some point in your life, and it may have happened recently, it may have happened a year ago, it may have happened decades ago for some of you, but at some point in your life, you made a confession. And you confessed that you were a sinner. And that because of your sin, you recognize that there was this debt that you owed God, and it was a debt that you would never be able to pay off on your own. You recognize that you were in need of a Savior from that debt. And because you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your debt has been canceled, and you've been forgiven. Because of what Jesus Christ did on that cross and in that tomb, you have been made right with the God of the universe forever. Nothing's going to change that forever. Now, because of this gift, here's your practical. Because of this gift, let your forgiveness drive your confession. Let it be a way of living. Because Christ died to repay a debt that he didn't owe, and it was one that you couldn't repay. So let's harness that grace and allow it to drive us to confess, to make things right with the people we've hurt. See, because of Jesus, we don't have to make things right with God. Because you and God, you're good. Now, Jesus has freed us up to make things right right with others. Now, confession's scary. Trust me. I'm well aware of it. It is scary. But just for a moment, think about the other person for a second. The one you've hurt. The one you've offended. What if? What if your confession is what sets that person free? I mean, for someone out there right now, you might be holding the last piece of the puzzle 
that they have been trying to complete for a long, long time. Owning up to your responsibility. Owning up to what you've done doesn't just break you free. It actually might be the one thing that allows that person to move on with life. We've all done damage. We've all hurt people. And some of us are carrying around some pretty big guilt. But Christ didn't die on the cross for us to live that way. So let's try to make it right. It won't be easy, but it's a road that we need to walk. So let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity that we could come here today. This is not an easy topic, Lord. Confession, it's so interesting, God. It's, it is it's almost one of the bedrocks of our faith. It's a starting point of our faith, but at some point, we, we just kind of stop there. And Lord, unfortunately, because we're humans, because we have a sin nature, we are and have, we are going to hurt people. And I pray that today, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would give us the strength to try to make it right. To go to those people, as difficult as it might be, with the fear that they might not listen or things might get worse, I pray that we could do what you've called us to do, to go to them, to make it right. That perhaps relationships might be restored, if possible. That we might break free from the guilt having tried, and that you would be glorified in the process. Help those of us today that are dealing with this. We ask all this in your name.